Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Hey, listeners, welcome to this fall 2021 edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words, part of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this episode, we visit Robert Wallace, award-winning author of As Breaks the Wave Upon the Sea, a poignant and introspective collection dealing with love, loss, and the intricate facets of relationships. In the title story, a husband and wife alternate points of view as the husband, a soldier returned home, struggles to adjust back to his life. In another story, a man picks up kayaking after his wife's death from colon cancer. Kim Church, author of Bird, had this to say about the book. For the characters in these stories, loss is a jumping off point. The question is, what comes next? Into what new worlds will loss lead? This is rich territory, and Robert Wallace minds it with skill and imagination. His characters pulse with life, his settings are vividly drawn. North Carolina, Michigan, pandemic-era New York, where the streets are empty and the air simply smells like air. This is transporting work by a gifted storyteller. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for being here. We are grateful for your presence and uh, really appreciate your time joining us here on the podcast. I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories. And if you run out of things to do one day, you can check me out at uh, LandisWade.com. Find out more about uh, me and uh, my writing. For everything related to the podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. We've got show notes on each episode uh, with images and links. We've also got a community blog there. Uh, if you're a writer, you can submit there. We've got a lot of great content. And speaking of great content, uh, we put out a book report every two weeks. It's free to sign up for, and uh, there's some free stuff you get when you sign up. You can check that out at the uh, podcast website. Uh, hey, we won't spam you because, frankly, that takes way too much time. Speaking of free stuff, if you like audiobooks and you go to libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O.fm, and uh, sign up with uh, their audiobook service, uh, use the promo code Charlotte Reader and get a free audiobook. Last thing I want to tell you right quick before we jump into the episode is that we have what's called a Patreon channel, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. It's a place where our authors uh, and I do a deeper dive into the craft of writing and the business of writing. And uh, you can join us there and and support the podcast when you do for uh, as little as $5 a month or $8 if you tip. Uh, we put out a lot of content on that page and uh, we've had a lot of fun doing it. I- I've certainly learned a lot about the craft and business of writing on our Patreon page. So join us uh, at Patreon or through our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. But enough of this prologue. Let's get to today's episode. Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you, Landis. Very happy to be here. Yeah, congratulations on the book. I, it's uh, been a long time coming. I'm yeah. glad it's here. Yeah, and uh, at the top of the show there, nice praise from Kim Church. And I agree, you took us to many places where we could smell the air of those places. Tell us, tell us, Robert, about your own connection to some of the places you write about in this book. 
Sure. Um, well, I grew up in Michigan. Um, I actually, in many ways, still consider myself uh, a Michigander, but I have actually lived in North Carolina since 1979. So I've actually lived in North Carolina long, much longer than I was in Michigan, but I grew up there. Um, I don't know much about New York City <laughs> uh, or, or some of the other places I might have written about. My daughter, however, did actually go to uh, school in Cleveland, and one of the stories is actually set there. So I do have some experience uh, when it comes to uh, Cleveland. But North Carolina is really my home now, um, and I think a lot of my memories in terms of uh, Michigan are from childhood. That's great. Well, a little information for our listeners. You've won a number of awards, a uh, two-time recipient of the Doris Betts Fiction Award. Uh, you've got, had a North Carolina Writers Fellowship from North Carolina Arts Council. You've got a previous book, A Hold on Time, and other information about you. Uh, your stories have been featured in the North Carolina Literary Review, Bryant Literary Review. Um, you actually critique manuscripts for members of the North Carolina Writers Network. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've studied up on you a little bit. It looks like uh, you've, you've written about 50 or more short stories and in, in, in lots of journals. Um, and I'm just wondering, uh, you focused your craft, Robert, on short stories. And I'm wondering why you're drawn to the short story to, you know, as a medium of expression. Well, I think that's fairly common when it comes to at least prose writers. Um, that you really kind of start off with the, a shorter piece of work. Um, the thought of, of delving into a novel as the first time uh, prose writer it just seems a little daunting. It still seems daunting to me, even to do it again. Um, so, and I and I think also that stories just seem to come to uh, perhaps a, a prose writer, and you have these multiple stories in mind, and you want to get them out. Whereas a novel is kind of like. Even though it may be panoramic and epic, um, it's still about one story. It is still about a set of characters. Um, and I just think that uh, a number of ideas were, were coming through my brain. And, um, and, I, and I just feel the need to sort of get those stories out when it, in, in a short form. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about the, the stories you've uh, written for this in this book today. But uh the difference in novels and short stories, um, I mean, while it's true the novel is much longer, it's not necessarily true that it's necessarily easier to write a novel than it is a short story, is it? No. No, they're both hard. <laughs> I never find any of this particularly easy. Uh, I, I think when it comes to a novel, however, it's the being able to um, control the narrative uh, and keep the narrative going. Um in many respects, when it comes to writing, it's the beginning you can sort of get, even though you have to get it right, and you maybe have an end in mind, it's the middle part. And that can really have a, a lot of difficulty for a lot of writers, particularly when you're doing something as epic as a novel. Even in the short story form, I think the middle part is still a, a challenge because you have to sustain the narrative in some way or form. Uh, and and you have to keep the the characters going into some sort of trouble until there's some sort of uh, uh, perhaps an epiphany, but not always. Uh, but you have to have a resolution. Um, and but keeping the narrative going in the middle is is the real challenge, I think. Yeah, they've sometimes called that the muddy middle, where you try to you know get through it to get to that ending you have in mind. Um, 
And yet, uh, you know, with a novel, you, you can have a beginning and a middle and an end and clearly wrap things up. But in all, not in all short stories do you always have a beginning, a middle and an end. Sometimes it ends and you're wondering, well, what really happens next, right? Absolutely. And I, I, I think that's the, sort of the reason why I like short stories so much. They don't have to have a complete resolution. If you look at the title story in mine, um, the protagonist is actually standing in the water and you really are going to wonder what in the world is going to happen to him after this. There really isn't a resolution. Um, you, you sort of feel like uh, with his uh, uh, situation that he's going to continue to struggle. Um, and I, I, it's a slice of life sort of thing, I think, when it comes to short stories. Um, there isn't always a, a, a perfect resolution. And a short story, in many respects, can be so many different things. Um, you can have a, like a traditional narrative where you have a beginning and a middle and an end. And you might have a resolution of some for, some kind. Uh, but you can be very experimental as well when it comes to a short story. I mean, Joyce Carol Oates has written probably thousands of stories. Uh, and if you look at them, they're, they're very, they can be very, very different. Uh, she's written very traditional stories and she's written, but, but very experimental kinds of things. Um, and so I think you can really experiment with that. George Saunders is doing it constantly now uh, with his work. And he, he, he truly believes that you can do pretty much whatever you want to with the short story. It doesn't mean that, that a journal, that an editor at a journal is going to accept it, but I, I think it's worth experimenting with it. So uh, I like doing traditional ones, but I also like doing some things that are a little bit uh, different. Yeah, I noticed that several of these stories, you know, had these uh, endings that weren't necessarily the kind of ending you could get away with. If I had, if I read 300 pages of your novel and I got to the end, I'd say, damn it, Robert, why didn't you tell me what, what happened? But, it, but if you're doing it in a short piece and you got a lot of, it's character driven, you got some things, it gives you something to think about and uh, and move forward. And you're not quite as upset that you leave them with a, with a cliffhanger. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I would say that I think in many respects, the stories have a partial resolution yeah. and not a complete resolution. Sure. And so I believe it's satisfying. At least I hope it is a satisfying uh, enough to the reader that um, it may not have been epip epiphanatic, but uh, it's at least to, to some extent um, enough of a resolution that the reader accepts it. Yeah, well, it's not like you left them on a cliff hanging. You know, we don't know if they fell or or survived. Right. <laughs> uh, and 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 since you mentioned uh, the title story is breaks the uh, wave upon the sea, it um, you know that story I noticed you know had alternating points of view and and not full chapters like you find in a novel where they some authors do that, but uh, sometimes they're very short. There's a paragraph of one paragraph of the other. You have the wife who's concerned about her husband. You have uh, the husband who's come back from war and who's dealing with the trauma. And, you know, they're seeing things totally differently and he's not opening up. I thought it was a very interesting technique. Um, and by the way, listeners, I just, I'll tell you now, we're going to have a Patreon episode when we're done here. You can go listen on narr narration and point of view tips with Robert Wallace because he's done uh, a lot in the point of view area. You can, you can hear that on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte readers podcast. 
But Robert, for purposes of this question, um, when you're writing that way and you're writing in these two points of view, it's almost as if you can get across uh, these various messages much better than if you try to tell it through one narrator. Hmm. Well, thank you for that. Um, you know, I wasn't completely sure that was going to work for me. Um, and if you and you had mentioned the fact that it goes back and forth. In some cases, it only it goes back and forth with even just one sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I thought about that story, we often think about post-traumatic stress disorder with the soldier coming back. But there's also who, who, who the soldier is coming back to. If they're coming back to their family, whether it's uh, a wife in this case or other family members, they also experience that as well. And I wanted that story to also be told. I didn't know if it could be told in a short story in the way that I did it. Um, because it, many of these little sections that you've mentioned are extremely short. Some of it's just very short dialogue. Um, in other cases, it's imagery. Um, but I, I wanted each to tell their story. I don't know if it got told in some respects completely, because I, I really feel like um, their story can go on. In fact, I'm actually starting to play with that a little bit, um, thinking about even a novel when it comes to, to these two characters. Um, but that that was the idea behind behind the concept, anyway. Um, you know, sometimes um, I think editors would be kind of turned off to some degree with that um, because I think you're right. One point of view is usually challenging enough when it comes to a short story, and uh, I at least in terms of the Doris Best contest, I'm I'm glad this worked out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, there's this one section where, in her point of view, uh, she's saying, I pray, I pray all the time. I pray hard for my husband. I pray soft, I pray fast, I pray, pray slowly. Then it switches, time passes, I swallow time. It evaporates before hitting the ground. It coils and recoils. So you got these, you know, she's very focused and concerned about her husband. His mind is in other places, you know, and then you bring that together when they're at the beach and her mind is on, you know, her hat, which is flitting in the air and she's holding his hand and his mind is lost somewhere else, you know, in time. So it is, it, it kind of, it does give you this sense. And, and these are two characters. I think you could take uh, and play this out further uh, with the story. You know, what happened? Did he recover? Did he come back? Did he, can you ever recover from something like that? Or did you just get, you know, a little bit better, or a little bit worse. So I, I really, that was interesting. That, that was fun. Now, um, the first story, you know, that you have in here, uh, the science of the air, I have to tell you, there was a lot of sort of mysticism in there. I couldn't tell exactly whether the woman was mentally ill or whether she was uh, almost a ghost. And then there was the mystery of what happened to her at the end. I assume you had fun writing that story and getting us to wonder what the hell is going on here, right? Uh, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, I've had a lot of people tell me that their favorite story in the collection was actually the first one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you had talked about point of view. I, I had this image in mind when the story came to me. It was this adolescent girl uh, looking out the, her bedroom window at her father eating an apple. And from there, I just took off with the story. Um, that's what, that was the hook for me. Uh, of course, I had to create some sort of narrative, some sort of conflict with that. But 
I clearly saw this young adolescent girl um, looking at her father somewhat confusingly, uh, obviously um, adoringly, uh, but at the same time, um, uh, wondering what's happening with, with the circumstances in her, in her life. And so, uh, yeah, I, I don't think all the answers are there in terms of the, of the mother. Um, you know, I think for the most part, it's clear that she is certainly struggling and having some sort of mental health problems probably. Um, but what her resolution and how that works out with the family is, 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 um, to be seen really in some respects. Uh, uh, I, I sort of look at it in terms of a positive ending in some ways is that, um, is that the adolescent girl, Adrian, is actually beginning to grow up herself and that she, in some respects, is, has become more adult-like because she really is beginning to see things um, as they are. Um, but I believe there's also hope. Yes, there, to some extent, I believe in her mind as she's, as she's standing in, in the barn uh, acting like she's an airplane. She wants to escape. Um, but at the same time, her, her, when her mother comes out and, and engages in the same behavior, they're doing it together. Um, the uncle's completely confused, but, <laughs> uh, it, but, uh, but I also believe that, um, that, that Adrian is beginning to grow up and to see the circumstances of the situation and there's light at the end of, of the, of the circumstance and situation. Yeah, there's a lot of ways you can interpret it. It's really, really interesting. Before we have a reading here, I, I want to ask you uh, about putting together a collection like this. Um, how do you go about uh, creating this? Do you have a theme in mind? And we're going to talk about some of your themes in a minute. Mm -hmm. um, at the outset, uh, that you try to embed in all the stories? Or do you write, 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 and then see what you have at the end and try to put the collection together that makes the most sense? How did you go about it in this case? I have put previous collections together um, that were not accepted, and I, I think that's a real challenge. Um, you have to look at your best work, I believe, um, not what you think you want to put in there. I think you, you definitely have to look at your best work. So the first two stories in the, in the collection, I definitely wanted there. I thought they were perhaps the strongest pieces. Maybe others would feel differently. Um, but at the same time, it can't be work that is marginal. It has to. It doesn't necessarily have to have a theme. It's nice. I think some some editors prefer that, um, but I don't think that's a, an absolute requirement. Uh, it's, I know there are some themes in, in this collection, and I'm glad it has worked out that way. Uh, you know, I think there's light there. There's certainly water uh, in just about every one of the stories, um, and. I, I don't know if I necessarily, when I was putting it together, to be honest, that I thought of that. Um, maybe it was intuitive in some way. Um, but I, in retrospect, look at it. I think that has worked out for me. And I think that's part of the reason why I got accepted. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about some of those themes in just a minute. But first, uh, let's do a little reading. Um, you've got a story here. I believe it's the last story in the collection that you're going to read from. Could you tell us um, uh, 
a little bit about uh, this story and then uh, maybe do a reading for us. We'd appreciate it. Sure. So we are in the midst of a pandemic, obviously, and still are. Um, and I actually, when I was thinking about putting this collection together, I started thinking about all the households throughout America, even in the world for that matter. What is going on in those households? Because many of us are just cooped up in those houses and are, and are not going anywhere. Boy, is that right for literature? Uh, let's, let's face it. Uh, one of the things that I've often said about literature, you put some characters in a room or wherever and they can't go anywhere, then something's going to happen. So I thought about that with these two sisters um, in New York City, and they're both in their 80s that clearly they have some history together, and probably something's going to happen. Um, and so that's kind of what the story was about in terms of one of them recollecting what happened in their past and how the other one is going to receive new information um, that, that one of the sisters brings to her. So the actual title of the story is There's Something I've Been Meaning to Tell You, and I'm going to read uh, the beginning of that story. From time to time, there comes a passerby. One even offers to help, a kindly old woman who has a wad of tobacco in her mouth. She doesn't appear to be in any condition to be of service, so the younger sister smiles at her and shakes her head. She stands there, looking out the window, several stories, she never remembers how many, above the mostly empty street. If she wasn't in the city, the skyscrapers gently swaying in the wind, she would think she was in the wide open west, the streets barren as a tunnel of prairie, the occasional crumpled wad of paper impersonating tumbleweed, somersaulting along the deserted pavement. It is cold this morning. The window feels cold anyway, with her nose just inches from the pane. Her wheezing breath spotting the glass with moist droplets from her mouth. She takes a hand and wipes the glass, swiping across the pane with her open palm, and feels a, a portion of the glass has white frost on it. Her palm removes some frost like ice being cleared from a frozen lake. For a moment, she looks at her palm at the flakes of ice clinging to the heel of her hand, and she bows her head so that her cotton-mouth tongue, poking between her parched lips, barely licks the frost. She quells a desire to cough. Her sister, the older one, is still asleep. Her door is ajar, and she can hear her snoring, her gentle breaths softly hissing like a poignant whisper. Occasionally there comes from her sister a word or two, like now, even a shout, and she will walk to her room and peek in to find her sister still asleep, having a dream. She goes back to the window. This is her favorite time of the day. Rising before the sun comes up, she goes straight to the kitchen and turns the stove on to a boil, to boil a kettle full of water. Then she uses the bathroom, and by the time she has finished, the kettle is just beginning to whistle. She takes that first cup of Darjeeling tea to the window, and although she can see very little, the faint outlines of buildings and lights from apartments and offices, she sips her tea while the ash-colored sky gradually comes into view. When she was eight, growing up in upstate New York with her mother and father, her sister, and her brother, they lived on a lake. 
This lake, the name of which he sometimes forgets, though her sister has never forgotten, was deep. The water had this unusual distinction of being shallow on the right side of the pier and deep on the left. Their parents had told them to swim only on to the right side. None of them were strong swimmers yet, and Joseph, being not even of school age, couldn't swim at all. She recalls how Joseph used to tease her and her sister when they were alone in the lake. I'm going to jump off the pier into the deep water, he'd say. He took pleasure in teasing his sisters, and she could never understand this desire to frighten them, for it did frighten them, especially her sister, she being the oldest and responsible for the both of them while they were alone together. Yeah, that's great, uh, Robert. Thank you for that. It does give you this uh, image um, which uh, I think we've experienced of being during a pandemic behind these windows and looking out, you know, and uh, it, uh, and then you work in this, um, the scene with the lake, which ends up, you know, coming up throughout the story. Um, and there's a secret here and the secret does come out. So there is kind of a resolution in that respect, but not understanding necessarily why that's, that's something you think about, uh, think about later. But the one thing that's in this story, that's in all the other stories, you mentioned it uh, earlier, is water. That's one of the things that uh, pops up. You take us to several ponds, uh, you know, in the country or the back country or wherever. You take us to rivers and you take us to the ocean. Tell us what uh, Robert Wallace finds fascinating <laughs> about water. <laughs> well, good point. <laughs> um, I think water, to some uh, respect, is cleansing. Um, it's it's uh, it's purifying, um, and it has the ability symbolically to um, pr provide some purification. Uh, and in each of the stories, I think after the protagonists have been in the water. Um, something happens to sort of have at least a partial resolution. Um, at the same time, water is um, can be dangerous. And w when we speak of this uh, story that I just read, um, it, you'll find if you re read the story is that water isn't always purifying. It can cause problems. You, you can... Um, you know, drowned in it, you can almost drown in it. You know, it's not exactly uh, uh, always the the pure uh, situation that you would hope it to be. Um, but yes, um, for some reason, uh, many of my characters find themselves in water and, um, uh, you know, they come out of it uh, for the most part, I think, uh, with having some clear vision, maybe to some extent, of what their next steps are. Yeah, well, essentially, as I ask the question, I'm thinking I've got a piece that's going to come out uh, this fall. I think it's, uh, and, and it, it'll be around the time this podcast comes out in the Daniel Boone footsteps. Uh, and and the, the theme for the anthology was trouble. And so my piece is called the trouble with water <laughs> and it's, it's about all the, all the things that, uh, you know, it's only a 750 word piece, but it relates to all the things that, uh, uh I got into trouble in, you know, being around water. And yet, as you say, uh, I'll, 
water's great. I mean, I love the beach. I love, you know, mountain streams. I love fly fishing. I love being around the water. And as I'm thinking about this, Robert, since one of your themes is loss and trying to deal with loss and recover from loss, I found water uh, to be kind of a uh, respite, you know, for that. I mean, if I'm troubled sitting on the beach with a good book and listening to the ocean waves crash or going body surfing or being in a trout stream, it's very soothing. Yes. Um, you know, kayaker's guide to the Pungo River. Uh, one of the stories in the collection, Winsome Pettick. He, you know, after the loss of his of his wife, is completely distraught. Doesn't even know how he's going to go on with his life. But somehow or another, he, he, he doesn't know why or how, but he ends up buying a kayak and then he begins this sort of um, a healing process. You know, and I think water helps him heal. Um, he gets out on the water and he just, you know, uses he just strokes in terms of his kayak. And he finds it just um, soothing, healing, um, calming. Um, it helps him process. Um, you know, he may not find all the answers out on the water, but it clearly helps him uh, try to get there. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that story because I had it flagged here. Um, I really enjoyed that story. I also liked uh, the fact that you used a little epigraph at the beginning of it from Ernest Hemingway's The Old Man in the Sea, mm-hmm. uh, where it says, Everything about him was old except his eyes, and they were the same color as the sea and were cheerful and undefeated. So you even reference in the story a little interaction he has with a, a librarian or somebody who's talking about Hemingway's books <laughs> in the story. So you're bringing that, uh, that theme to this story as well. You know, the, the, the person on the water who's struggling, uh, trying to find themselves, um, they're sort of paddling their way through it as he did in this story. Um, and I found the resolution of this story, you know, to be very, not only satisfying, but, uh, almost mystical too, as if he'd, if it's, as if he'd found an answer, but he still wasn't sure what it was. Yes. Um, his uh, literary hero, uh, Ernest Hemingway, of course, who wrote um, Big Two Hearted River Part One and Part Two. Um, and he taught, in fact, he's a, he teaches literature at a high school in Cary uh, before he decides to quit and um, buy the kayak and just go off. Um, he, you know, he often talks to his students about what's going on below the water, uh, what's going on perhaps in his mind, um, because to a lot of the, uh, students, there's nothing going on in, in either of the story. Um, but it's often within, obviously in terms of Ernest Hemingway, it's what's not being said is what you got to start thinking about, uh, Mm -hmm. because he's not going to come right out and tell you what it is, um. Uh, you know, you, like the story Hills, what is it? Hills, Hills like white killer. elephants. Yeah, he, he doesn't talk about uh, abortion, but, but it's that's what the story is about. Um, but in terms of Winsome, yes, he there's another character in there by the name of Tia Ruiz, which he has uh, an uh, an experience with. Uh, she is she, she's an Hispanic woman who works uh, at a cannery, uh, basically. Uh, and she's been spotting this uh, boat on the river. So she obviously has this connection to water as well, to some respect. Um, and, and in the end, um, he, he ends up giving his boat to her, jumps into the river at the very end, 
and I think that's what you mean in terms of having some kind of resolution. He realizes that he was close to to doing what his literary hero ended up doing. <laughs> um, and I think that experience with, with Tia Ruiz and being able to give away the boat um, healed him to some respect. He doesn't know where he's going to go after this. He thinks he might buy another boat, but who knows? But he thinks he's going to go find some more water. That's what he does know. Yeah, that's great. I really, really enjoyed the book, the stories as well. A couple of writing life questions before we wrap up here. Um, since you do critique uh, other people's uh, manuscripts, I sh I'm sure you're looking at not only short stories, but novels. Uh, what, do, what do you think uh, one of the uh, a couple of mistakes that writers can avoid in, uh, in writing short stories? Hmm. Um, I, I, th I think the first mistake that almost all writers make is making something too autobiographical. Yes, you need to use your own experiences and uh, circumstances and what you know, but don't be afraid to write about what you don't know. Um, I Just to give you an example, I was in a workshop once, and this, um, and we were workshopping my story. And this woman who was was there said she couldn't get beyond the fact that I was writing from a, a woman's perspective, and she she literally, I mean, literally could not continue to even read the story. Because she kept thinking, I'm a man. Why am I writing about from a woman's perspective? And I and immediately thought to my mind, I didn't say anything, but I immediately thought to my mind, she's not going to be able to <laughs> continue to grow as a writer because she's going to completely limit herself. So I guess the thing I would say is you don't have to always write about yourself. Yes, it can be a starting off point. Uh, but that's, in many respects, all it should be. Maybe what you want to write about is uh, personal essays or something of that nature, and you need to get that out. Uh, but then you need to be able to fictionalize um, your life to some degree. Yeah, that's great. And so uh, I'll follow up. This, this is a personal question to your own writing. Um, and, and because you've written so many stories, um, Robert, uh, if you could tell your younger short story telling self something of value based on all that you've learned in writing stories that might have helped that younger Robert when you were starting out to write uh, stories. Can you boil it down to anything? I think I would boil it down to say, just don't give up. I mean, there are many times you think to yourself as a writer, oh, why am I doing this? It's so hard. And I don't feel like I'm particularly good at it. <laughs> um, but you do get better. You actually do keep getting better. And you and the one thing I've always done from the get-go is to just read a lot. You can't read enough. You simply cannot do that. Um, and I think it's important to read good literature because if, you, if you're not reading, if you're reading just pot boilers, you're going to write some respect like a pot boiler. And that's, and it, I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily. I'm just saying, um, you need to be able to expand your horizons. So it's, it's about continuing to continuing to work and not give up because there, there've been many times where I've decided uh, I just can't do this anymore because I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. And eventually you have breakthroughs. 
And that's the important part by, about keeping going. So why do you write then, Robert? It, it's like any many writers, I think I just have a passion for it. Um, I mean, my mind's a swirl <laughs> of ideas and characters. And the important thing about writing to me is that you don't have to be writing every day. Okay. I can't just sit down and just write. I mean, and some people can do that. That's just not me. Um, but I do feel like every day I'm still writing, even if I'm not writing a word on a piece of paper or typing into a computer. I feel that way because I know my mind is working. I have something in there. I'm not sure what it is, uh, but it'll, it'll keep talking to me. Um, and I'm not, and, and I don't try to force it either, because if I try to force it, then it's, it's just not going to work. Now, I might start reading something because I have some idea about something. Uh, or I might read a short story or I might read a novel that I think um, is going to have some interest in what I'm thinking about. But I, again, every day, I think, is a day in which you are still writing, whether you're writing on the paper or not. Yeah. Do you think your uh, career as a social worker uh, gives you some insight into uh, you know, how, how different people feel uh, to help you improve your characters? Yes, I absolutely do. Um, because I have written many a story that was somewhat based on some people that I've worked with. Um, it's not exactly what those circumstances were, but um, I've seen different parts of life that way. Uh, I, I've seen, I've been in homes where people were extremely wealthy. And I've also been in many, many homes where people would be amazed how some folks live. Um, and, and it's sad to see that, that, it, that it's that way. Um, but one thing I've always found about being in social work, and this is the important part, I think, how it connects to my writing, is that um, they're all human. Um, they are all, in my mind, still people with strengths and weaknesses and you have to have compassion, not only for them as a social worker, but you have to have compassion for your characters. I just don't think it works with if you don't have compassion for your characters. That's a great point. And, uh, and listeners, it's a great book, as Breaks the Wave Upon the Sea. You can find out more about it in our show notes and the links for Robert are there, too, at charlotteroospodcast.com. Check that out. Uh, Robert, this has been a, a very enjoyable interview for me. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, – come on Charlotte's podcast and talk about your work. Thank you, Landis, for having me on. Appreciate it. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice, because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. 
Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.